Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. So when the Queen died several months ago, Canada sent a delegation to England, a huge delegation as it turns out. I mean, I understand that we sent former prime ministers like Stephen Harper and Paul Martin and Jean Chrétien and Kim Campbell. I'm on board with that. Former prime ministers, they should be there along with our prime minister. Uh, We also sent... Former Governor Generals, Mikhail Jean and David Johnson. Okay, you know what? They represent the Queen. I get that. Um, I don't understand why we sent a musician, Gregory Charles, or Mark Tewksbury, lovely guy, uh, Olympian gold medalist. Don't know what his relevance to this was. Or actress Sandra Oh. Couldn't begin to explain why they had to be there on the national dime. But at the heart of this story, the one part of this that just won't go away is the fact that somebody in all these rentals of these endless hotel rooms, somebody from our country in that delegation stayed in a $6,000 a night hotel room, which seems excessive. And we know it seems excessive because the government is trying desperately not to tell us who stayed in that hotel room. If it was not a big deal, they would tell us. But it is a big deal and they know it's a big deal and they know it's embarrassing. So they are hiding this. Well, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, as well as a conservative MP, are now pushing to have this released through court efforts and other things. Uh, Franco Terrazano is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Hey, thanks for having me on today. Hey, I'm glad you're along. And you know what? We can talk all day about this hotel room because it's ridiculous. And the fact, as I say, they're trying so hard to hide this tells us that they know this is embarrassing and there's something wrong here. So we don't even have to go there. Franco, what I don't understand is... This is not a security issue. We're not talking about outing a spy or telling them where military installations are set up. This is a hotel that was booked months ago. No one is there now. It was with taxpayers' money. How are we not by law allowed to know this stuff if it's taxpayers' dollars? No, uh, we are arguing by law that we are required to get this information, okay? So let me just take you back just a quick second here. Back in the fall, when the story first broke from the Toronto Sun about the $6,000 per night debacle, we filed an access to information request. It was a very simple request. Just tell us the name of the person who stayed in the $6,000 per night hotel room. Well, recently, we got the response back, and it was redacted. So these bureaucrats wrote down the name, then they blacked it out. Based on what? Based on what? Because there has to be a reason to redact it. Yep, they gave us two reasons, okay? Two reasons within the access to information request. This is what they claimed. They redacted it, according to them, because of Section 16 and Section 19. Okay, so these two sections are, one, about security concerns, and two, personal information concerns. Let me debunk both of the rationales for you. Let's look at the security claim, okay? Well, hold on a second. The Queen's funeral has already happened, as you pointed out, right? No one's five there. Yeah, no one's there ago. now. No one's Nobody's, there. In the, yeah. No one's there now. It was five months ago. So unless the government is worried that the Terminator is going to travel back in time, I think it's pretty safe for us to disclose this information. Okay. So security claim debunked. The next one that they're arguing is that this is personal information. Well, no, 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 no. The law is very clear that this type of expense is not under the personal information exemption, okay? Because if you're there on official taxpayer business using taxpayers' funds, then you have a legal responsibility to be accountable and transparent to the taxpayer. 
Okay, but there's even a step further in this access to information request. It's a bit of a nuance, but it's very important. The government, the bureaucrats who are doing these responses, all they have to do is ask the individual in question if they can disclose the information. That's all they have to do. So a couple questions come to mind. Did they ask that individual? If not, why? And if they did ask the individual, well, did the individual refuse to disclose the information? Right. And I can tell you that um, in the past, I, I haven't filed one of these recently, but in the past, city hall, city councillors who have gone on city business have had to file all their expenses. And I could tell you what hotel they were in, how much they paid for a room, that kind of stuff has, it, it's been available. And so, I, as I say, if there, I, I'd be very understanding of this if there was a legitimate security concern, I don't want to highlight where our spies are or where, you know, other things are that could truly lead to real problems. But I can't for the life of me understand how the government or some bureaucrat or someone in this group that went could somehow think that we should not know this. It All it says to me is they know how bad this looks. They know it's going to be terribly embarrassing. So we better fight this thing. Yeah, this is purely political. Okay, this is purely, purely political because the Toronto Sun also got their hands on some emails that show that political staffers within a minister's department were ordering bureaucrats not to respond to questions. So this is all about them being embarrassed because, whoops, they got caught reaching, putting their hands right into the taxpayer cookie jar. They got caught and they don't want to be held accountable for it. Okay, so we see this quite quite re- frequently where you got government bureaucrats bending the rules to withhold information from taxpayers. But we can't let this happen, right? As you mentioned, and I think as everyone is thinking right now, is that they are embarrassed. They don't want to be held accountable. Well, hold on a second. If you don't want to be embarrassed or publicly shamed uh, by your spending, then maybe spend a little time beforehand not wasting taxpayers' money on a $6,000 per night hotel room. Now, let me just address another claim that I've seen thrown around on social media, right? Well, you know, shouldn't prime ministers, governors general, former governors general, like, where do you expect them to stay? Well, we're not saying put them up at the motel by the airport, okay? (laughs) What we are saying, though, is hold on a second. How come they could have saved money by staying at the Four Seasons? (laughs) <laughs> right? You know you're really wasting taxpayers' money when you could have saved money by, by staying at the Shangri-La. So they really spared no expense when it came to this hotel booking. I, okay, so yes, I, I agree that this is poor judgment by whomever stayed there and whoever booked this. I'll say this, though. I, I rarely, rarely, almost never call for someone to lose their job because that's, that's, you know, that, that's a strong thing. And I don't like to do that. I don't want someone to be out of work, but whoever the bureaucrats are who are trying to hide this to me should be out of work because they are completely unaware or unable to see the forest for the trees. This is taxpayers' money. We have paid this. We don't live in a kingdom where the king gets to do whatever, or a queendom, uh, where they get to do whatever they want. We live in, it is taxpayers' money and it should be visible. And if you are a bureaucrat who believes to the point where you would encourage people to obscure this information, you should not be working for our government, period. So 
I agree with the bureaucrat accountability. Let me go even further, okay? Where is the accountability on the political side? Whether it's the minister, whether it's well, the of course, prime minister, of course. whether it's the senior political staffers, right? Where is that accountability coming from? Or wh- wh- when are we going to see it? And let's go even further, right? Because you're so right when you say, like, look, this is taxpayers' money. They need to be respectful of the fact that it's not their money. It's from the taxpayer. And it really seems like they're showing contempt for hardworking taxpayers. But let's also remember the current circumstance facing taxpayers, right? It's like every day you see a new poll where Canadians are legitimately worried about whether they can afford beef at the grocery store, whether they can afford the jug of milk at the grocery store, uh, whether so many Canadian families are worried about losing their homes because of rising mortgage payments, right? So when all of this is happening, you see our highest government officials sparing no expense internationally. Yeah, and and and, and Franco, we got to run. I, I agree with you about the government part. I guess my thought on that is I have such little faith that anyone in government is actually going to be held accountable because at time after time now, to the point where our ethics minister is saying the whole government should have to take ethics retraining because they don't know what they're doing. I have no faith that the elected officials are going to end up paying the price for this. So maybe we just have to go right to the bureaucrats and say, at least there should be some threat here. If you are going to try and hide this stuff, you are you are going to lose your job because we need people who will expose this stuff to deter others from doing it. And if we can't get rid of the elected people because they won't take responsibility, somehow, unfortunately, it has to be the people below who are stepping in and, and being the roadblock. Well, you know what? I think we lost Franco. Well, oh no, I'm oh, there we go. sorry about that. You know what? I agree with that sentiment, and that's why we uh, have already launched the legal challenge with the information commissioner, and we're prepared to fight this thing the whole way through. Let's hope. Let's hope that it. Um, let's hope they figure it out beforehand, so you don't have to fight it. Let's hope they realize, you know what, it was a bad decision, but we got to come clean because. This thing, I would expect, only gets worse if it has to come out through the courts and someone is embarrassed. Uh, Franco Terrazano, really appreciate you doing this. Thanks. Hey, thanks for having me on tonight. Uh, and you know what? I, I don't mind if someone disagrees with the position that we have on here and says, hey, it's just a hotel room and our prime minister or whomever should be there. Fine. You know what? Uh, fine. If we agree, if we want to say that our elected officials or our whomever should be able to stay in a really nice hotel room because they're there on foreign business, on national business, fine. But then say who did it. The fact that this is being hidden is should be the first clue that everybody involved knows this is a screw up. If it was... If we believe that this is something that should be done because we need to have people staying in these kind of places, there should be no problem at all with explaining who stayed there. They have given away, they've betrayed the guilt here by hiding this. That is the problem. It's your money. It's not their money. It is your money. You deserve to know this stuff. And this is one small little nugget, $6,000 in what our government spends is nothing. It's the idea that we don't want to allow it to be hidden because if you hide the little things, you can probably hide the big things. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You have certainly heard, I guarantee that you've heard over the last number of months, talk about 
how our country is expanding its immigration and how we're going to be welcoming, we hope, more and more and more people until in 2025, we have a target of half a million new Canadians to bring into this country. Question is, what happens if they don't want to become new Canadians? Which may be not even the right way to explain this. I'm not sure. I'll let Daniel Bernhard jump in on this. He is the CEO of the Institute for Canadian Citizenship. Uh, there are new numbers out from Stats Canada saying that the number of new immigrants looking for Canadian citizenship has gone from 75% a couple decades ago to 45%. Daniel, why is this happening? That's the that's the million-dollar question, isn't it, Scott? I think that there are a number of reasons why um, everything from you know application fees and difficulties with that process um, to underemployment and you know dissatisfaction with expectations – uh, and even, you know, difficulties of having fun, finding things for your family to do, making friends. Um, it's a it's a comprehensive uh, problem with no easy, no easy answers at hand. But I can say this. Canada has been built for centuries on this idea that people come here, not just to live here and work here, but to build their families and their futures and their lives here as Canadian citizens. That's been the, the secret of Canada for hundreds of years. And if that legacy of welcome, that engine of renewal starts to break down, we're going to have serious problems. So while I don't have a clean answer for you today, I can say our organization, the Institute for Canadian Citizenship, we are working hard to understand this better. But it is incumbent on all Canadians to solve this problem because it's our collective future that's at stake. I also think that it's it's a really interesting point of view that new immigrants bring, whether we, regardless of where they're coming from in the world, if I go to see a movie, let's say, or watch a TV show for the first time, I have a different set of eyes on it than someone who's watched that show a bunch of times. And so when someone comes here and says, this isn't working, it kind of says to me, you know, we may have been used to it. We may have gotten the idea of what Canada is and it's changed little by little. But if you have someone new coming here and sees it for the first time and says, this doesn't work, that, that should be alarm bells to us, I think. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we also need to catch up. We've taken immigrants for granted for a long time, but the type of immigrants who are coming to Canada um, are, are, are changing. And I'd say for the better. I mean, look, when my family arrived in Canada in the 1970s from South America, my parents spoke very little English. Um, one had a high school degree. One didn't even have a high school degree yet. And so they had, they, they filled that sort of, you know, stereotypical narrative of arriving with $5 in your pocket, put mm -hmm. your head down, work hard, make your way kind of thing. Well, you know, people today are coming with advanced degrees. Um, they have very senior experiences. Many were leading executives. They were teachers and doctors and lawyers and communications professionals and journalists. And they were homeowners in their country of origin. They're coming with a very different background and a, I'd say a lot more firepower, a lot more talent, a lot more ingenuity. But our system needs to adapt and our idea of the immigrant story, the Canadian idea of the immigrant story also needs to catch up. These people are not arriving with five dollars in their pocket and, you know, fueled by hopes and dreams. They bring a lot more. And if we can't adapt and adjust to be able to accept what these newcomers are trying to contribute, 
that's to our collective peril. That's to our collective disadvantage. This is a story about what Canada has become and what Canada could be. I think that's why it struck such a nerve and and why it's uh, getting so much attention. I'm really happy to be discussing it with you today and with your listeners. Okay, so if, if based on what you're describing, your parents would have had a much harder time now if they were coming than then. But if that's the case, and now the people who are coming, as you say, many of them come with money or with degrees, and we still can't handle it because we don't have housing our medical system all those things that people have been talking about for weeks now is the idea of expanding to half a million immigrants by 2025 an absolute preordained recipe for not working uh well no i don't think so um because i think that reducing immigration is 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 not even an option i mean the the population is getting really old really fast when we started with public health care, you know, in the 50s and 60s, we had five to six uh, working age people for every retiree collecting benefits. We're now closing in on two to one, you know, by 2030, the entire baby boom generation will have reached retirement age. Um, so this, this, the country will die. <laughs> and, you know, healthcare costs are skyrocketing. And we need to continue to innovate and to bring, like you say, fresh perspectives, fresh ideas, Look at the number of Canadian startups that are started by immigrants, everything from Shopify, Applyboard, like these are all immigrants who started these businesses. So I don't think that um, cutting that off is, 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 is even an option. I think what we need to do is think more comprehensively about how these people can contribute because they actually bring the solution <laughs> uh, along with them if we as Canadians are open to changing our mind about who immigrants are and what they bring and what they have to contribute. If we can get our heads around the fact that these people are not showing up with $5 in their pocket and a hope and a dream, but actually bring with them the ideas and the energy to solve a lot of these core problems, not just that population expansion cause, but that are just existing in our society and economy already. If we can be open to that, and letting people contribute at a high level from the get-go, boy, we can take on the best in the world and we can win. But we need to get our heads in that space. That's a that's something that all Canada has to do. But w there's also a Leger poll. You were you were citing in, in what you brought out, the uh, stats can, but there's a Leger poll that was out a little while ago that says one in five immigrants is planning to leave Canada. So they're coming here and finding, I guess, I mean, we, we like to think, uh, Daniel, and you know, maybe this is pompous of us. We like to think that you're coming to Canada because we're so much better than anywhere else in the world you would come from. And yet if one in five are coming here and still saying, yeah, I'm getting out, that's not that, that again, that's a, that's a troubling thing to hear because it suggests we're not at all in for those people anyway, what they thought we were. So I'm familiar with that Leger poll because I commissioned it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, and that came out uh, in April of this year, of, of 2022, rather, of last year. So yeah, you're right. There is a large uh, percentage of, of newcomers uh, who, who are telling us that they're likely to leave Canada within the next two years. So these are, these are wake-up calls, um, absolutely. I think, though, that both things can be true. I think we can accept that Canada is still a very welcoming place for newcomers, the public opinion polling shows that across the political spectrum, Canadians believe in immigration and support immigration and want it to continue. I think the question is, how do we put those values into action? How do we translate those values into people's reality? So yeah, people are disillusioned. They're showing up here with big expectations. They want to contribute. They want to start a new life. They want to be the best Canadians. That's the tradition of Canada that so many newcomers want to buy into. 
And we need to make sure that there are opportunities for them to contribute um, to their full potential. They want to do it. Are we are we set up to let them do it? You know, the stereotypical example, of course, is doctors. We're in the middle of a full-blown mm-hmm. healthcare mm-hmm. emergency. In Ontario alone, there are 13,000 immigrants who are trained doctors in other countries, including an estimated 5,000 who've already passed all of their Canadian accreditation exams. They're saying, put me in, coach. And we're saying no. Um, and look at how many people are sitting on the sidelines waiting to get in, you know, for, for a year for procedures. Well, we have this talent that's here and qualified and desperate to make a contribution to that Canadian future. And we're not letting them do that. So, yeah, it's understandable that people are disillusioned. We still remain much more welcoming on average than many other countries in the world. It's still a great place to come. But I think we're also seeing that we can't just, you know, ride on our um, on our history. We can't just coast. We can't just take this for granted. We got to keep doing the work. We have to keep renewing that promise. That's the how Canada was built in the past. And it's the only way that Canada will be built in the future. Daniel, I've only got one minute. I don't know if you can answer this question in a minute, but let's go back to where we started here. That 75 percent. 20 years ago of new arrivals wanted to become Canadian citizens. Now it's 45%. Does that ultimately matter? And and let me use the example. There's a lot fewer people getting married these days. They say, we're happy just living together. Is it not just okay if people come here and say, I just want to live in Canada, but I don't necessarily want to commit to being a Canadian citizen. Why would that be a problem? Our organization hosts uh, about 60 enhanced citizenship ceremonies every year. So I get to talk to those people who are finishing the journey all the time. And I can tell you that there are the kind of logical reasons for wanting to become a citizen, voting and, you know, all the other advantages. But for most people, it is a one-way door psychologically that they pass through that says, no matter where I came from, no matter the land of my ancestors, Canada will be the land of my children and of my future and of future generations. And that is so significant for people because of all they've been through to get here. And sometimes for multiple generations, the psychological significance of that break is humongous. And it equates to an emotional connection. And that's the connection that, that, that we're looking for. We want people to say, I want to be on this team. This is my place. These are my people. Canada is my future. And citizenship is a main marker of that. Yeah. Yeah. The commitment to the country and say that, yeah, there's no out here. This is where we're going to be. Yeah. 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 Are, are, Are you on team Canada or not? And, you know, people still want to be on team Canada and we are so much better as a team because of it. Um, but we need to also be cognizant of the fact that the market value of becoming Canadian appears to be in decline. This is calling into question so much of what we believe ourselves to be. I think that Canada, that legacy of Canadian citizenship that has built this country is still attainable. It's still here and we can recover it and we can restore it, but we got to do the work and it starts with understanding the facts. And that's what we've been trying to do with this release today. It's a really interesting uh, report. People can go to inclusion.ca. The headline on it is Newcomers Falling Out of Love with Canadian Citizenship. Uh, This is Daniel Bernhardt, who is the CEO of the Institute for Canadian Citizenship. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for this. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in a man. I don't know if he's ever had any any deer meat in his life. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. Ever had deer meat? Oh yes, a number of times. Mm, see, don't tell, don't say what it's called because that would give away the quiz answer. But no, yes, it's when it's that. done right, it's quite delicious. I I think it is. It's uh, I mean, you certainly get the lean, the mm. leanness of it. Um, Years ago, 
when my wife and I, I think we were just married or we were engaged, I can't remember, went to my mother-in-law's place. She made dinner for us and she made a stew. And we're eating this stew and we're saying, it's really good, but I, what is it? It's different. She just had this look on her face like, no, 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 it's just beef. It's just beef. And after we were done, we said, she said, did you like it? And I said, yeah, it was great. And I said, so, okay, now that you can tell me what was, she goes, it was moose. And I was like, hey, yeah. I'll eat it. That was, that was fine too. Yeah, I, I've had that too. I think I think I had a similar much when I was much younger with goat, right? Like mm. the same sort of thing. Like you're like you're like this, this this. I know this isn't beef like this, but it tastes great. Yep. Yep. But what is it? Well, the thing with moose is, I think that most of the moose that people are going to eat probably has bumper brews on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many people are actually hunting moose or how many just hit, get hit by a car and someone says, well, I guess I better butcher it. No use wasting a moose. Um, you know, if one, go, if one goes down, it's a lot of meat. Uh, it's Yeah, you can feed a town with that one. Uh, let me ask you this question. Today, uh, okay, half of me says big signing by the Ticats and half of me is not sure. They, the Ticats uh, re-signed Simone Lawrence today. Simone Lawrence, Baba, is... I think unquestionably the face of the Ticats now. He is a legend with the Ticats, all-time leading tackler. He is, I would argue, their greatest ambassador as a player. There's a lot that you really like about having Simone Lawrence on your team if the Ticats. The one thing I'm not sure about is if you believe that you are a Grey Cup winning team, can he still play at that level? Yeah, I, unquestionably. And I think, I think there's two things that go into that. Remember that you're talking about a guy that just recently, I, in my opinion, and I guess I'm a bit of a homer here. We, we were, you know, we're broadcasting in Hamilton just in 2022, 2021 was robbed of the most, uh, the, the CFL's most outstanding defensive player of the year award. He was the East nominee, and I think it was Adam Big Hill took it from him. And the, there was a lot of chatter around the Canadian Football League that people didn't want to give it to him because uh, I think it's more than well known around the Canadian Football League that everyone loves Simone in this area and that he's just not a well-liked guy because of his, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a fast talker, trash talker. Well, and there's been some incidents. Yeah, and, and there's been a couple of incidents that have gone with, you know, which have led to suspensions. Uh, but he wouldn't be the only player to be, nope. you know, he's a defensive player. He's, he plays at a tempo and a, an aggressiveness that I would say to many is very old school. And right. And unfortunately, during his time of, of play, the rules have changed. Right. So uh, overall, I think he's certainly adapted. But have there been some boo-boos? Absolutely. But can he play it at a high level, especially surrounded by the talent that he's uh, you know, it was a pretty good linebacking crew last year. It's even better this year, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, he's going to be 34. I, I do, I it's one thing I do worry about. We don't know what the contract is for. We don't know how much money it's for. That, you know, in a, in a hard salary cap system, that matters. Um, I, I think that his signing today certainly very made a lot of fans very happy. Again, whether it's all because of what's on the field or just because he is such a well-liked guy in the community. I mean, good for the Ticats for keeping him around because I don't think at this point he looks right in another uniform. I just, I hope that he can still, I hope he can still hold up that necessary level. That's all. I, I think there will, and if he can't, there are, there are going to be others that take his place. I mean, that, that's football, right? I mean, you've got a guy like, 
I think this is another reason why I believe he's going to be really, really good this year, too. Not not only because of the improvements that have been around him. Remember, he doesn't play strong side linebacker. He plays weak side, right? So he can be a lot more attack-oriented. But to the point, remember, he only played nine, game last, nine games last year. First time in his career where he's, you know, he's only played that little amount of games. First time that his, you know, his season had been kind of interrupted mm-hmm. um, due to knee and a groin issue. So I think he's, his motivation level, I, it drove him crazy, I believe, last year playing a playoff game where he really wasn't 100%. So I think he's going to be very motivated. I think he understands the fact that this is probably you know, getting close to the end of the line. You know, you're on that other side of your career, 10th year in a city. You know, we often forget about the one year in Edmonton as well, too. Um, and, and boy, you know, I, I, don't, I think I'm fair in saying this. I did this on my sportscast tonight. I aligned him with the likes of Angelo Mosca. You know, there, there are a few players, you know, that over the years have worn the black and gold and have come from other places. Uh, you know, Mosca came from Massachusetts and Simone came from Pennsylvania that have and just embrace themselves in the community. And this is the one I know some of the things you're talking about and live here full time. Yeah. So yeah. I, I oh, think, I don't dispute I don't, that. I don't dispute yeah, any I, of that. I think I, he is their best. Anyone down. I think he is their best ambassador, unquestionably. Right. Uh, it, all, all that matters though, and, and let, let me go to this, because all that matters to me now, and I think to a lot of people, is can he still play? And I'll tell you why. I, I believe that this year is, and we may have said this before, I, I, I think it's it's impossible to understate the importance of this year for the Tiger Cats. I really do. You're hosting the Grey Cup. You've already had your one crack at it. You lost in overtime. You were very close. You're playing at home. Uh, you've gone big in with Bo Levi Mitchell. You're not going to host another Grey Cup for years because you've had two mm-hmm. of them here in the last three. Mm-hmm. You've got an older team now. You've gone mm-hmm. big with your quarterback. This year, and, and with the East, with Montreal looking like a mess, with Ottawa looking questionable, with Toronto, you know, Toronto looks okay, but every year they win the Grey Cup, which is about every four years, they then have a year or two where they're off. Well, they got quarterback questions. And they got quarterback questions. This, to me, is, this has got to be Hamilton's year. It just, uh, to me, it just has to be Hamilton's year. Well, I mean, I don't know if, I, I, I can't go that far, but I think ultimately you want to be hosting the Grey Cup. And I think that is where they're positioning themselves. And then, you know, as we saw, and you know, two years ago in that game against the Blue Bombers, then anything can happen. But I think you need to position yourself to win the East, which, you know, I think is going to be improved. I think Ottawa has all of a sudden become Hamilton North and you know, I, I just can't sleep on Montreal because I did that last year and then look what happened, right? So um, Toronto or Toronto, you're right. Um, they seem to have uh, intact their defense, which was the strength of their club last year with lots of questions on offense. But you're right. This is certainly a go for it. All you have to do is look at the, one of, the amount of one-year deals that players have signed. And you're right, the age of the players that are there. This is not a junior club. This is a team built to win now. Um, and at the very least, maybe and, you know the, the basis of something to go for in twenty twenty four. But yeah, this is it, Scott. Like I mean, the pressure is on. I know that uh, head coach and president of football operations, Orlando will st- Steinauer, will certainly deflect a lot of that for his players. You know, it's a one game at a time situation. We're not thinking about that. I will say the players aren't probably thinking about uh, about that. But don't tell me the organization aren't. 
Don't tell me that. No. I don't buy that for a second. No, no. I mean, we saw two years ago, we've seen it with other places as well, but we saw two years ago at a time when the Grey Cup could easily have been a flop because COVID was going on and everything else, how important it is to have the home team in it, especially around here. Mm-hmm. You, to, to make this thing work and, and the Grey Cup Festival, because COVID is now, well, I'll say done, done for all intents and purposes for events and everything else. Uh, it's going to be much, much bigger. You, cool. you need to have the home team in to make everybody excited and on board. I, I really believe that. I think it makes a massive difference if the Ticats are in the Grey Cup. Absolutely. I mean, I've I've gone on to describe the, I guess, 2021 Grey Cup that was here in Hamilton as a regular season game on steroids, right? Because we just, the organization just weren't able to do some of the lavish things that they were planning to do that basically sold the Canadian Football League on Hamilton being a place to, to, to host a game for the first time since, what was it, 19, what was it, 1996? When was, I mean, there was a, such a long break between uh, the city hosting the yep. Grey Cup. Yep. Um, so yeah. So I, I, I you know, like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat myself. The pressure is definitely on, and I think what we need to see to keep people very much engaged is a quick start. Uh, we saw a real slow starting team last year that lost some real tough ball games, and I guess beat Calgary, which you know got people kind of back on board, and it was just sort of hit and miss. And then they made that late rally to make the playoffs last year. That cannot be the fortunes of this club. They need to get off to the quick start, find themselves in first place, and then you know over an 18 game regular season, you're going to lose some games. There's no doubt about that. But you need to be in control or in, in contention for first place to keep people engaged. Okay, so here is prediction time now. We have got a Maple Leaf team that uh, we are led to believe is going to probably make a trade. I mean, they've been, even though they never win a playoff series, they've been contenders. Uh, I don't think we can not use that word. They've been contenders. They've not contended, but they've been contenders, and they are once again in that mix as a team. They're, I mean, they're fourth in the NHL in points. They, they are clearly a team, despite their challenges in the playoffs, that you, I believe that if they get over the hump, they could be very, very, very dangerous. It's just getting over that hump. So you've got the Leafs, who may also make trades to add to that because of the necessity to win. You've got the Jays, uh, pitchers and catchers reported today. Others had been there for a few days. Spring training is starting. They've made some moves. And you've got the Ticats, who are hosting the Grey Cup and have made some moves. Which of those three franchises wins a title first? Well, I gotta say the I gotta say the Tiger Cats. To me, that's kind of a simple question, and only I only say this because the percentages are highest, right? Like, I mean, you're looking at a this is a nine team league, and you're hosting the Grey Cup, and you you and you put together a really good team. Um, the Blue Jays still have to worry about you know an improved Red Sox team. The Yankees are the Yankees. Don't ever forget about Tampa Bay, <laughs> as we've always learned. And, you know, the Blue Jays, as much as they have some good players, again, they have some senior citizens that, you know, George Springer being one of them, seems to have a pension for at some point getting injured, right? Uh, and there are some holes on that team, even though they've gone out to improve themselves. The Maple Leafs, I'll tell you this, I, I, I've only said this to a couple of people, and I never say this. You know, I'm a Sabres fan overall, and it's good to see them, you know, more in the mix this year, and I think next year will be a big year for them. 
if the Maple Leafs, and that is a massive, massive capital I and a capital F, if they can get through the Atlantic Division, they'll win the Stanley Cup. They're that good. Mm, I, okay, but they so have to yeah. get through the. He says, "I don't think the West. I think the West is junk." And yeah, I well, whoever the wins the, the East, talent, whoever wins I, the East is going to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I think. you've got they're the major favorites in, in terms of the conferences over a seven game series, in my opinion. And I think you've got you've got to get by Tampa and somehow Boston, who. I mean, they're 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 playing like the the 1975 Montreal Canadiens, like in terms of wins and losses. It's yeah, incredible. yeah, no, it's it, like you you've got to think that like okay, I, I do believe, and and I may have fallen on my head and not known it. I may be dealing with post concussion syndrome here, Bubba. I don't know it. <laughs> I do believe if the Leafs could get over the hump and win a round. And all of a sudden, everyone can just exhale and relax and just play. I think they become an incredibly diff- uh, uh, dangerous team in the playoffs because I think they have the players to 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 perform. There's just so much stress on this team right now to get past that first round that everybody is just gripping their stick tightly. But even if they do that. Even if they get past Tampa and then you get past Boston, now it looks like you're probably going to run into the Rangers who are really, really, really good. Like to get to the finals, you have essentially, if you're the Leafs, the way it lines up, you're probably going to have to play three Stanley Cup finals in a row to get to the finals, which may be the easiest round of all of them, which is stunning, which is such a an unbelievable path you have to take to get there. Whoever, if it's a team from the Atlantic, if it's Tampa, if it's Boston, if it's Toronto, either any of those teams to get to the finals, their path will have been almost harder than any other playoff path ever, I would suggest. Absolutely. I still think they can beat the Rangers over a seven-game series. Oh, I think they can beat all of them. I I don't think they can beat, right now, I still don't think they can beat Tampa, and I don't think they can beat Boston. It just, I, you know, I worry about, you, we, you and I have talked about this on air and, and, and privately, it's a different game in the playoffs. And do the Leafs have the, the lineup, do they have the defense in particular to play that more rugged, grinding game um, where, you know, your power play and penalty killing and goaltending are an absolute premium? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure. Yeah, no, and and you know what? Uh, how long ago was it now? A month and a half ago when both Leaf goalies were absolutely lights out. They were both playing amazing. They're both healthy and they were both playing amazing. At that time, I thought, okay, if goaltending is so weird a position that you can go from letting in everything to being super hot, if they could get into the playoffs and if those two guys can find their game, they can beat anybody. But if they go into the playoffs and those two guys are struggling, they can't beat anybody. It's going to, it's so much of it is going to come down to what's between the pipes and how are they playing? Because look, look at the goalies they have to face. Look at the goal. You have to beat Vasilevsky in the first round, proven. Um, Boston, all world right now. And then you got to go with, uh, 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 what's his name in New York? Um, um, Ah, I've drawn a blank on his name. But either way, probably the three greatest goalies in the world right now are the guys between you and a visit to the Stanley Cup Finals again. It's just, it's so daunting. It's so daunting. 
which is why I'll, I'll go with you. I, as, as much as I think the Ticats, despite all their signings, I do think there are questions. I still think there are questions about Bo Levi Mitchell. Um, I, I still think out of those three, by far, my, suge- my the, the one I would think it would win first would be the Ticats. I just, I just think by numbers, I, I just think they're, they, they have the easier path. And I remember too, if they were able to win the East, they have to win one game at home. They'll have to win two games at home if they, you know, were able to win the East. And I, I just have to believe with the changes that have been made. When I, and again, this is all on paper. We've done this a thousand times in sports with the on paper argument. And on paper, they look really good. Scott, really good. They've done a great job. There are players there that have, you know, lost, that are lost on linebacker. Cameron Kelly is a guy that I really, really like. Uh, there's guys in the secondary where I'm like, eh, boy, it's tough to lose guys. But, boy, they brought in some talent. They really, really did on the defensive line. Yep, uh, yep. If the talent I'm really, is- really impressed. And, and you're right. Maybe there it, are there questions about Bo Levi Mitchell? Yeah, but I, I also think, like Simone, Motivation is a strong, strong thing for guys that are, you know, have put together the resumes like unquestionable, and, and unquestionable, have. unquestionable. If the Ticat guys that they have signed, if the Ticat players play to their potential, I think by far they are one of, if not the best team in the league. I think they're right up there with Winnipeg. It's just a question of. Can Bo Levi Mitchell still play at that level? Can Simone Lawrence still play at that level? Can these guys do it? They have shown they can in the past. And if they can rise to it again, uh, no question. All right, we only have a couple minutes left. I don't have time to get into. So we, you and I had a um, had a little discussion the other day, which I'm not going to have time to get into, about the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll do that another oh, day. Geez, However, how we were, it was off the air, and it was, it, was a, it was a nice debate. Let's just put it that way, that went on for a while. I was watching part of the Super Bowl parade, the championship parade uh, in Kansas City. Was it today or yesterday? Yesterday. Yesterday. I lost track. Are the Kansas City Chiefs now the most despised team outside of Kansas City in the world of sports? I would argue yes. I would argue that there is no team now that people are more tired of, even above the New York Yankees. I would say right now the Kansas City Chiefs are the team outside their hometown that more people would like to see get knocked down a peg than any other team. You're right, but this is what this is what happens in sports to teams that are good. Yes, five yes. straight AFC championships, Super Bowl three of those five, and they've won two of the five of, of the of the three trips. Right, so yeah, when you're good, people don't like you. You know, and it came in a year where people didn't think they were going to even come close. Well, hold like, on a sec. I, I know. I know that what's his face, the tight end, um, um, uh, Kelsey. Kelsey. I know that he's been going on about this. And I actually went back and looked at some stuff because I thought, wait a second. Were people really saying that? Because I don't remember it. And most people said they may step down a little peg. But he was at the, at the parade going, people said we're not going to make the playoffs. Nobody said they were not going to make the playoffs. I don't know, Scott. I think, I think, I think there were a lot of people that thought they were going to slip way back because, and I'll tell you why quickly, I know you run out of time. Denver went out and got Russell Wilson. Everyone said this is all they needed, right? This is, they figured them to be a playoff team. The Raiders at the end of 2021 had ripped off a nice little win streak, figuring that they, that, that team was hot. The Chargers may be the best improved team and, and figured with the losses of Hill, who was a massive player 
for the for the Chiefs and the Avery Roll and everything they did because of his speed, they lost two of the most outstanding wide receivers and they thought they had taken a step back. And they somehow plugged and played. I don't know. They have a sort of running back by the name of Pacheco that almost ran for a hundred yards. I have no idea who this guy is. Mm. I, so I will I give them a lot of credit. But a lot of people thought that Denver, the Raiders, that Denver, maybe the Raiders to a smaller extent, but everyone thought for sure Denver and and the Chargers had bypassed them. Here's why I think that Kansas City is now the team outside of Kansas City that everybody hates and wants to see knock down a peg, all right? I got my list. First of all, listening to them give their little talks at the parade, they are arrogant beyond all levels of arrogance. Kelsey just reeks of arrogance right now. I think people would love to see him get knocked down. They get... People are so sick of listening to Tony Romo slather about the Kansas City Chiefs and Mahomes. I think people, and, and Tony Romo may be individually responsible for people hating them because he just cannot stop slobbering about Mahomes. But Scott, five straight Okay, five straight, and, even, and, and here's the next even, part. Here's the next the part. Great, even the great Bills teams didn't do that. Here, here's the next part, why people, and that goes to that one. No team has been able to have a, a schedule, maybe not that was an easy schedule, but has been a beneficial schedule. Seven of the last eight times, while the Buffalo Bills, for example, have been a good team, seven of the last eight times they've played, it's been in Kansas City. And the only time it wasn't was a regular season game during COVID when no one was in the stands in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And guess where the Bills are playing next year? And guess where all the good teams, Kansas City has to play, I think, two of the top teams, Buffalo and one more, both at home. It always aligns that they get home, and it always seems to align that they get all the, anytime there's a questionable call, it always seems to go in favor of, people are so sick of this team. I think that if, I think that if Kansas City were to go 0-17 next year, which they won't, probably, they won't, if they were to go 0-17, there would be a parade in other cities, loving the fact that Patrick Mahomes and his gang were being shown a little bit of humility. Look, you remember who you're talking to, right? You're talking to a guy that's been crying with, with the Bills since 1980. Uh-huh. Right? Like, right? This is this is it kills me to to be complimentary to 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 the quarterback of that club, to the tight end of that club, to the team, to the head coach, all those guys. It's it's it, it hurts me, but I can't deny what they've done. And you're right. And 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 to their credit, just like Buffalo, when you when they're at home, it's a huge, huge advantage. And somehow they keep doing enough and winning enough games to be hosting games. So I got to give it to them. So, you know, what do they say about, you know, when you're at the top of the mountain you, or you're the heavyweight champion, you got to be knocked down to, to, to lose your title? Well, some one of us, and I mean whether it's the Bengals, because everyone thought the Bengals were going to do it after, not, after really belittling the Bills at home. But yet they didn't do it. They, they didn't do it. Yeah, I guess so, we're guess we're the buff, speaking of the Buffalo Bills. We'll let you go, but speaking of the Buffalo Bills, uh, they play Philadelphia Super Bowl finalist. They play Cincinnati semifinalist. They play Kansas City Super Bowl champion next crazy. year. Guess where they play all three games? I know it, 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 it's crazy on the road, and somehow on Kansas City plays. I think those same three teams all at home. It just, it, it's amazing how this, I, I know there's a formula to the schedule. Somehow though, the formula always seems to fall in favor of the Chiefs. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why. And you're right, because when I saw the schedule, I was like, are you kidding me? But, I mean, you're right, because I th- you're right. They played the Chiefs every single year, and then somehow, except for the one year, we we got to go there. Yeah, it's so, it's amazing. But, but with that said, you know, I said the last time we went, I mean, was last year, we, we, you know, we really gave it to them good, right? Last year, it, right in their own building, right? So if that's what is required, I, I see the Bills are, what, number two? I, I mean, I'm never a huge fan of these Vegas odds anyway. Uh, know, well, all of a sudden, everyone's slathering over that stuff. But I think the Bills are the sexy second pick to, to win the Super Bowl next yeah, year. Yeah, well, they were the sexy first pick to win this year. And <laughs> didn't, yeah, well, exactly. Didn't right. exactly work out. Uh, maybe the Ticats, though. I never included the Bills in our list of local teams or area teams that would be the first to win because... Um, Too hard. So I that's just the hardest. I would say that's the hardest hardest of all of them, not national hockey football. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know what? I'm going to say the Leafs' path to a Stanley Cup championship this year, anyway, with who they have to play, would be harder than the Bills. But it, it would be a very, oh, very, just, it would be a very tight race. Just, so yeah, it's gonna, the AFC East is going to be tough because you know who's going to be the quarterbacking of the Jets. Yep, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers. Yep, yep, and uh, yeah, no, it's. I think that people around here, uh, you know, better bank on the Ticats winning or else it could be a long time before we ever experience winning again. Let's just put it that way. Uh, Baba, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Great talk. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.